Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. The team at Cobra Golf are set to introduce additions to its collection of king putters, making the offerings available in a sleek black colorway, the perfect complement to the limited edition black LTDX drivers and king black wedges. The lineup of black putters includes both king 3D printed and king vintage series models, along with two new mallet styles, the king Cuda and Cuda 40. All King Collection putters come standard with the Cobra Superstroke Traction Tour 2.0 grip and KBS Tour 120 shaft. The new additions to the King 3D printed and vintage series will be available from July this year. For more information on the entire King family of products, visit cobragolf.com. This is the 19th tee, Kieran Marsh and Nathan Drudy back with you uh, admittedly sooner than probably <laughs> what we had anticipated, uh, Drudes. Just... Wrapped up recording last night, little wrap of uh, Victor Hovland's win at the Memorial, touched on Rose Zhang's bursting onto the scene, little wrap of the Aussies in US Open qualifying, hit the stop button, went to bed and thought, well, we'll catch each other next week. Uh, little did we anticipate a seismic shift in the golfing world that came uh, middle of the night, my time. Uh, of course, the merger between the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Uh, we're joined this evening, I, I was going to say to help us make sense, but based on our pre-chat uh, before hitting the record button, maybe just to join us in our uh, greater <laughs> confusion as to the state of world golf by the digital and deputy editor of the Golf Australia magazine, our good friend, Jimmy Emmanuel. James, um, what a day. What a what day. I think I've helped add confusion with every TV and radio spot today. Just talk in circles, make things up and go from there. It's good. <laughs> Question uh, off the top without notice, where does this rank for you in terms of busiest days? Because I've seen you everywhere uh, today. I've, I've seen you sitting, I've seen standing, you standing yeah. to do some interviews, which was a wonderful addition to the repertoire. So where does it rank for you in terms of uh, days and how busy you correlated well, to be? Today? I don't know if you noticed the haircut between two different TV appointments. I thought that was pretty impressive. <laughs> that was that was a pretty smooth move. But uh, oh, look, it's up there in terms of busyness of doing other things apart from my actual job of writing stories about something, I suppose. Busiest days are final days of majors at events like that and covering, covering tournaments on your own where you're writing every different story and stuff like that. But uh Busy day in terms of pulled in every different direction and and trying to keep up with it. Like you guys, I mean, I went to sleep. I thought I was going to have a nice cruisy day. I'd, I'd done a lot of work Monday, Tuesday, and then about five thirty, the phone started to ring, and I looked at it, and there was about twenty text messages and Twitter direct messages and emails, and I thought uh, something's happened here. So <laughs> I was straight into it and hasn't stopped since. So yeah, very busy. Um, but I think busy because, like everyone, I've been trying to find out as much as I can about what's actually happening and and correlate and, and speak to people. And I'm still trying to guess what's actually happening in detail, but uh, I think we all will be for a while. I'm sure to a much larger scale than, than Nathan and I, because you actually get paid um, to write about golf, uh, but you are considered the golf guy in many people's lives. I'm sure you received a lot of similar text messages to what we both did today, asking us what the hell's happened. And I think the assumption that you have an answer 
in and of itself is quite remarkable. But that's what we'll try to do this evening. I don't necessarily think we'll try to profess that we know exactly what's going on because um, to your point before we hit the record button, we are neither Jay Monaghan nor uh, see Al Moran. So we really don't know what's going on because they are the only two that do. But I think it's worthwhile starting at the very beginning, which is often a good place to start. Uh, and that is the the first few lines of the announcement itself. If you've been living under a rock, uh, this is what was announced in the middle of the night Australian time uh, last night, being Tuesday evening. Uh, it reads as follows, out of Pontevedra Beach in Florida, as they all are, the PGA Tour, DP World Tour and the Public Investment Fund today announced a landmark agreement to unify the game of golf on a global basis. The parties have signed an agreement that combines PIF's golf-related commercial business and rights, including Live Golf, with the commercial businesses and rights of the PGA Tour and DP World Tour into a new collectively owned for-profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum excitement and competition among the game's best players. Now, you can wade through a bunch of different buzzwords and jargon and terminology. I think for me, and I'm interested in both of your thoughts here, the key factors are um, separate entity, for-profit, which is a, a significant transition away from the 501c6 model or the not-for-profit model that the PGA Tour has operated as. Uh, and of course, I suppose that the headline being the agreement in terms with the entity that's been the sworn enemy of the PGA Tour in the last four years. So I might go to you, Drudes, mm. uh, first and foremost, your, your, your initial reaction when you woke this morning, probably took five minutes to digest the news. Where, where was your head? Well, when you sent me a message, I think all you said was, I think we're going to have to record again tonight. And I thought, okay, shit, something's wrong with the pod that we put out last night. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to do my research before I respond back and say why. So I opened up Instagram and Twitter and wow. Um, I, I mean, I dare say this is probably the biggest, this is the biggest golf story that you and I have covered, Marshy. And Jimmy, I don't know if this is probably... This would probably be up there with the biggest stories that yeah, you've covered absolutely. In, terms, yep. in terms of ramifications, right? Um, but there is just so much information in that release, but yet there's also nothing, right? There's nothing formally signed. There's nothing is is actually concrete as yet, which leaves us with a lot of questions. Of course, there was a players meeting this afternoon. There's been people calling for Jay Monaghan's head all day. There's There's been so much happened in the past essentially 24 hours i guess my quick takeaway i was taking some notes down there um i mean it means the court rulings have all all gone i mean that's that's all water under the bridge now we shake hands we kiss and make up and then we're, we're all good um the for-profit piece i think is is perhaps a um something that maybe hasn't been explored fully as uh, in terms of its importance in all of this moving forward, that's a massive move away for the PGA Tour and how they're now going to operate that. And I think they're going to need some some uh, far more business acumen-minded people in that organisation to actually make sure this runs smoothly in terms of um, making a dollar. So there's, there is quite a lot to unpack. My, my first and... Uh, my first and probably resounding thoughts for the day was just simple shock. And I think that probably resonates across the golf community. I'd suggest probably if that's in line with you, Jimmy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, shock is the, is the definite part. I mean, I had multiple people today say, Oh, you've mentioned, you know, there'll be a coming together maybe at some stage. And I said, yeah, in a couple of years time, I thought mm -hmm. not 
overnight. I yeah. mean, um, that was the shock in the speed, but also in the people that have architected it too, really. I mean, Jay Monaghan was ardently against the concept until it obviously suited. I think the court cases is one of the main driving factors. Um, Saudi Arabia had no interest in having a public discovery into their investment in golf and the public investment fund for understandable reasons. The PJ Tour had no interest in an antitrust investigation into their operations as a not-for-profit that maybe probably couldn't, shouldn't, maybe could be. We don't know. <laughs> um, the cancellation of those is the biggest thing, I think, of all of it. There's also the part on the back of that is, I think, you know, the sponsor loss the PGA Tour has already suffered, being Honda, AT&T, um, is being felt. Going back, the designated events have been paid for out of the PGA Tour's magical fund that they found. They can't do that every year. They were realizing it was going to be difficult. Going to a sponsor and saying, hey, that $8 million event, $8 million event you have every year, that's now worth 20. You got an extra 12 to kick in is not an easy task, I can't imagine. Um, so sponsors for them, Liv's popularity was probably growing, but the business case of selling teams wasn't working. So they all were in a situation of less people are watching our stuff. We're not going to make as much money as we were. And we've got these court cases. We need to hurry up and get together on this. Um, I think the interesting thing about the not-for-profit profit thing is, as I understand it, there is a new for-profit entity mm -hmm. that Yasir Al-Rahman is in charge of. The PGA Tour's operations remains a not-for-profit. Um, so how that exactly works is interesting. And to get this over the line, that has to go through investigation from the US government. European governments will be interested as well because the DP World Tour is the forgotten party and all this. They're involved. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a monopoly in golf, in men's golf, because every tour became aligned under the PGA Tour umbrella effectively, except for Asia, which was aligned with Live, and now they're all in the same basket. So um, I think that's exceptionally interesting, uh, how that shapes out, how it actually works. Players, I believe, as will still get a vote on this. So... Um, you know, the players, as, as you mentioned, Marshall, for top, the players weren't happy in the player meeting from what mm. I've been told. Mm. Uh, 90% negative was Johnson Wagner's takeaway, and that's probably conservative. Mav McNeely apparently gave Jay Monaghan a high school debating lesson in, in front of everyone. And, mm. um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, the shock of it is, is the timing and everything that, and that it's happened. But there's so much to play out here, and I think that's the the situation we all sit in now is watching how it actually works and and what the beneficiaries are and how they get guys like Ricky Fowler a bit of a paycheck for mm -hmm. saying turn down the seventy five million dollars and whatever. I think that's a really important. Well, you've made a couple of really important points there, Jimmy. Uh, first and foremost, it feels like we're in kilometer one of a marathon, but we're we're really at the beginning of this, and that's not to understate what's clearly been a mountain of work that's been done behind the scenes, unbeknownst to almost everybody, it seems, over the last uh, two months, if you to believe the timeline in the Financial Times article today over in the States that quoted Jay Monaghan, it seems to be in a two-month exercise meetings uh, globally in the, in the United States, in Europe, in the Middle East. Uh, I think he referenced the fact that after 10 minutes in his first meeting, with uh, Yusir al Roman that he trusted the man implicitly, which is incredible. I wish they'd had that 10 minutes four years ago and we could have avoided all of 
um, the absolute cabal it's been in the time since. I think the other important point you make is the distinction between, uh, uh, as you say, we understand that the not-for-profit entity will remain to deliver things like the pension fund and and things of that nature, the day-to-day operations. This for-profit entity I find fascinating because, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong based on what you've learned today, but my understanding is essentially what we've got is a bowl and in this bowl, we're throwing all of the commercial interests and operations of the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, whatever's left of that in terms of commercial operations, the PIF, um, including Live Golf itself, and that we're going to put a value on all of those things put together. And then, then the PIF will have an opportunity to decide how much of that they want to own by way of percentage. So that is incredible. My understanding as well is that moving forward with that entity, any new commercial opportunities, the PIF will also have the first right of refusal on taking up themselves. So they'll have an initial buy, but then the opportunity to monopolize even further, which to your point, like if you thought there was antitrust violation potential in either of the existing tours at the time, imagine when it's just all one entity. It's actually like, it's incredible how like trepid this seems at the moment it's it's just so tentative it's that's the fascinating part about all that stuff is to give someone who was a rival complete control almost of this you know money-making attempt is fascinating i mean he's clearly invested so he's clearly he's clearly going to do the right thing and do the good job of it but um how that doesn't raise alarm bells for people outside of the tour who look at that and how it operates is, is beyond me. So um, yeah, that's, that's the sort of stunning part to it and how you take that to players who the players run the PGA tour. They don't, they're not the, they're not the commissioner, but they run the tour. So how you sell that to them um, when there's guys with misgivings about the source of the money, when there's guys who have missed out on money, when there's, all of this sort of stuff is is really interesting. Um, it's probably an easier sell at the at the lower end of the PGA Tour where guys are looking for money and there is going to be more money. Um, but the top-end guys are the guys that are going to speak about it and people listen to it. I mean, Rory's doing a press conference tonight at the Canadian Open and that's pretty much appointment viewing at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's been, he's been uh, very circumspect recently and saying i don't want to talk about it but he's got to be he's going to be hounded and ask questions he's best to get out of the way and and just you know rather than getting up maybe and saying i'm just here to defend my canadian open title <laughs> who do you Drude's, think no i was just gonna say who do you think call, who who made the phone call do you reckon do you reckon it was the pga calling live or live calling the pga because i'm I'd fascinated to, to find that out because like uh, i watched that video again with um with obviously uh jay monaghan and what's his name marshy jim nance no, no, the one on CNBC. What's it? the guy from oh, there? Whatever his name is. Yeah, you see Al Ramon. Al Ramon, whatever his name is. Um, and it was like they said, "How did this score come out?" And they said, "Yeah, well, we went out for lunch, and then we went and played golf, and we went out another lunch, and then we played golf, and then we made this fucking huge decision." And it's like I am fascinated because they could sell, they could genuinely come up with how that business model has come about and they could sell that to industry leaders worldwide and make an absolute fortune on how to make global decisions in two days because that that is actually unbelievable how that if you're to believe all that bullshit which that's, which i probably that's, don't that's the power of corporate golf isn't it you go out <laughs> yeah. for a business money on the golf course and you get, and you get the jobs done that's how it works i was gonna i, I was think- also just gonna throw to you marshy 
who like is it hip how do you see obviously the hypocrisy of things ha- have been rolling out today right so people have called the PGA tour have um hypocrites because of the way that they've gone about things in the last 18 months to 2 years in shutting live down at every corner I also think there's part of it that is largely hypocritical of live golf as well uh to to talk take your point there about monopolizing golf is that's exactly what live didn't want when they first first came onto the scene it was well no we this is the PGA tour has been a monopoly for too long and now we're going to a true monopoly across all of golf across all of the world so i'm fascinated on your your takes on the whole hypocrisy from both sides i think so f- for mine it was probably a different initial reaction to how it's fermented over the day and the ability to take some time to reflect on the evolution of this process in the last three years, four years, probably from the Saudis' first approach to PGA Tour and Jay Monaghan refused to take the call. And then particularly 18 months in the emergence of Live Golf. And uh, I, I think for me, I'm very conscious, and I'd be interested in both your thoughts, it's become abundantly clear that live was a means to an end for me, for the PIF. So I think ultimately they've landed where they always wanted to land and that was with a significant influence in the PGA Tour because even if, and and Jay Monaghan was blue in the face to point out that under this new entity, the PGA still retains controlling votes on the board. We still have a say. We're still the driving force. And you can say that, Jay, but if the PIF is putting up 40, 50, 60% of the money, they're probably still going to tell you how to vote because they're going to be the primary investor and you need more than anything else money. So seats on a board is all well and good, but money remains undefeated. And that's been proven over and over and over again in golf in the last 18 months. And it's been proven again today because for mine, they've been playing chess while the rest of us have been playing checkers for the last couple of years. They tried to make a phone call. Jay wouldn't even pick it up. They tried to go the civil route, the diplomatic route, the negotiation route, and then they just said, you know what, we've got mountains of money. So we'll literally start our own competition. We'll pinch players for exorbitant amounts. We'll throw it up on YouTube and have 30,000 people watching. And while you're all laughing at us, we'll just continue to dig the claws in a little further to the point where we force you back to the table. We force you to revamp your entire tour shoot your purses through the roof to a point where you can't sustainably afford to continue this model where you have to have a benefactor with our deep pockets. And then we're just going to swoop back in and enjoy the riches. And that kind of feels like what it is to me because I'm not, I, I take what they said about live with a pinch of salt, to be honest, about, you know, wanting to change the game, wanting to monopolize. Realistically, they just want to control that you've seen it in football. You've seen it now evolving in cricket. Like the money always wins and control is what they're after. It's a land grab. So I feel less, ironically, I feel less critical of the Saudis in this situation than I do of a man who has railed against them for three and a half, four years. There's a fascinating clip doing the rounds today of this tournament a year ago mm-hmm. and a conversation between he and Jim Nance on the broadcast. And you, you, you draw a line between that and what's happened, not just today, but clearly for the last two months, about a man who's happy to let others front the questions, about a man who's fed information to players to have them stay, only now to position himself as 
the CEO of golf's great future. Uh, the hubris on the bloke is absolutely incredible. All right, Jimmy, I'm, I'm keen on your reaction first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that video of you never have to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour is crazy to watch back. It was crazy at the time, but it's it's crazy to watch back now. Um, and look, I mean, him saying, I understand that I'm going to be called a hypocrite, but I was working off the information I had in front of me. Well, I mean, as you say, they, they ha- it's not the first time they've come to him. So, you know, there was always a discussion about, hey, we might end up going down this path. So, um you know, I, I can't, I can't understand how from that positions he's taken and then changing. And then with the players standing up and being the ones to answer the questions, how they're the ones who then are going to say, we want this guy to continue leading our tour. Um, look, I, I, maybe they will, maybe they'll go, well, he's architected this deal that we are really happy with eventually. Um, but the Saudis have played it brilliantly to get what they want. You're exactly right, Marsh. It was, they wanted a controlling stake in world golf. Um, and particularly you see Al Rahman who is obsessed with golf. This is his baby. You know, he's, he's got MBS's ear. So he's got MBS's wallet. That's by, you know, kind of they're attached seemingly. And he wanted golf and he's got golf. Uh, he wanted football. He got Newcastle United. He, he gets what he wants. And, um, Live was not the first plan to get it by any means. You know, they play they played an event on established tours trying to say, here's what we want to do. Um, Live became, you know, it was basically taking the product of the Premier Golf League and Andy Gardner and, mm. and just repackaging it to suit their purpose. Now, I mean, <laughs> everyone who's upset or confused or whatever, I mean, the guy I feel for is Andy Gardner, who had this concept, took it to the PGA Tour, and couldn't get them to get on board with it. And he did it, I believe, I think, with Saudi backing, without Saudi backing, and they just, yeah, we're not interested. We're big enough and ugly enough. We don't need your help. We don't need anyone. No one else is going to come against us. Um, he he created something that is what, in effect, we might end up with. Um, and that's crazy to see this guy who did all the work and created this, and he's going to end up with nothing. I mean... You're spot on that Liv wasn't the original target of what they wanted to do, but they did it by necessity. Um, and it was fast-tracked along. You know, they they hadn't – Norman said it a bunch of times. We weren't planning to be doing this, so now we're doing events. We weren't planning for them to be suspended. Now we're doing more events. We weren't planning for this. You know, we're, we're racing away. And it, the language around the merger is important of it's not merging with Liv Golf. It is merging with the Public Investment Fund's mm. golf entities now if we have live golf next year i'd be interested i don't know if it would be named live golf um but a team concept will emerge i'm sure but the actual live thing i can't imagine if they want to genuinely talk about you know bringing together all of golf you probably don't keep that name and it's not like it it's got recognition but it's got bad undertones with certain people as well so it's not something you necessarily maintain but i'm no brand and marketing expert i'm just some jibber who talks about golf so um you know it'd be it'll be really interesting how that actual that live golf thing goes i mean everyone who bought a hat in adelaide might want to hang on to it it might be worth a lot of money in 100 years <laughs> do you think it's hey, just, uh, marsh you question for you do you think this is the end for jay monahan because in in some ways right he is today's big winner in a lot of ways. He's now heading up. Well, essentially, he's heading up 
the world's golf. That's it. He is the head of world's golf in a lot of ways. Yeah. But on the other hand, he has along the way lost the trust of virtually every golfer on the PGA tour, which, you know, there was a lot of information that came out of that players meeting. And I tell you what, I would have paid a lot of money to be a fly on the wall, as I'm sure all of us would have. Um, it was very heated. Uh, obviously, Jimmy, you said that Mav McNeely, I think, got got up and about. Yep. Um, Both barrels from Mav yep. McNeely, apparently. Wes, mm. uh, Wes Bryan, I think, did a, did a piece afterwards as well with another podcast that kind of showcased a little bit more. Rory spoke. I think even he was a little critical. Um, I mean, is it the end for... For Jay Monaghan, if he doesn't have the trust of the players, is it as simple as that? Or is there is there more to it that it's kind of like, okay, well, too bad. I'm going to be the boss and you just play golf. I think I think it would have been the end under the old structure. And, and I think what we've seen today is potentially Jay Monaghan revealing his true colours. Publicly, of course, I think he's been doing it for the last two months, negotiating this deal directly mm. with the PIF. But he has been uh, answerable to the players under the old structure of the not-for-profit where the players were the members, and that's why it was a player-run tour. And that's why we you know, bowed down to the wants and needs and desires of the players. If he's going to be the CEO of this new for-profit entity, then really his stakeholder is the PIF and driving revenue and cash and a new world order for golf mm. under this uh, new logo and umbrella. So I get the sense that the only person he has to continue to convince right now that he's the right man for the job is his new best friend, uh, who's the you know the chairman of the, the public investment fund, because ultimately that will be the person who decides, as ironically the chair of this new entity as well, who is the leader? I don't necessarily think he needs the buy-in as much as we thought he did or did under the new or the old structure, I should say. I think Jimmy made an, a really interesting point, which has dawned on me as the day's grown. I think really what we're talking about here, because the guys that went to live, they're not going to be pissed. They're going to pay a nominal fine, it would seem, to come back next year if they so desire, or they may just choose to continue to play in the designated team events that wash out in this new schedule. But a guy like Cam Smith, I would imagine, will be back, and his 150-odd million that he got in the first place should probably pretty comfortably pay whatever nominal fine he has to cover to come back. So the live guys are laughing. Mm. The guys who make up you know, the better part of 60 to 70% of the tour who are wouldn't necessarily just live in paycheck to paycheck, but you, you Joel Damons of the world, like, they're laughing too because ultimately this thing's probably going to make more money. Mm -hmm. And that means a rising tide lifts all boats. So they're the guys ultimately that, not Joel Damon specifically, but the Joel Damon-esque player or tier of player in the PGA Tour, they're the ones that have been pretty pissed off about the new format and designated events and essentially being a means to an end to funnel more money to the top 2%. So they're not necessarily going to be upset either because they stand to make more money most likely under this new model. So really talking about probably a pretty small percentage of players whose main, I would suggest, grievance right now is a lack of communication and finding out at the same time as everyone else when they feel like they deserve to know before, and they probably do. But then mainly, like, how could you hang me out to dry? If I'm Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schofflay, Justin Thomas, Will Zalatoris, I turned down millions because you told me it was dirty money. 
and I shouldn't go and accept it because I stand for something. I'm principled. I'm a traditionalist. And now I have to take that money anyway, and I look like a fool. Mm. But ultimately, I think it's a core group, albeit a very powerful and influential group of players. But again, I come back to the money wins. The money always wins, and it mm. won again today. So if they go on enough of a sell job in the next couple of weeks, because as we said, it's a framework. It still needs to be nutted out in detail. It still needs to be agreed upon and passed. But if they can do the sell job well enough to the great many number of players that make up the tour that aren't the top 2%, I think ultimately by weight of numbers, they'll probably see the momentum fall in their favor. Jimmy? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's right. I mean, it is a, it's a small number of players who are going to be upset about it, but if they present the scheduling in the right way and and the format of how the tour, and it's going to be a tiered tour. We, we know that, but how that's actually going to work to those guys who are going to have to play those designated events and show up every week when they didn't want to show up every week, mm. you'll get those guys on board too. I mean, that you look at the schedule as it sits right now, the Canadian opens one of the oldest tournaments in golf. It's a very important golf tournament. It's not a designated event last week, Jack's tournament Memorial designated event next week, us open, Following week, Travelers Championship designated event because Travelers has been one of the biggest PJ Tour supporters. So the Canadian Open is, you know, well, why would you play that? You've got to play three weeks either side of it. So these guys were going, well, I don't want to play that much. I don't want to be told where to play. You re release this and you say, you get to choose again where you play and it's all going to be for more money. You guys that are in that top tier that have always liked some self-control will like that. They realize, I'm sure the guys that did have a strong opposition to the source of the money, well, there's no other money really available at the top tier in professional golf anymore for men. So you don't have another option. You know, if if Europe wasn't involved in this merger as well, perhaps, you know, maybe the European tour could have stood out on its own as an island and said, we're not getting involved with that. We're doing things differently, but they can't do that. And, and understandable why they're in there. So there's no other option but to take the money. Um, I'm sure some of them will feel horribly hit critical some of them won't like that um and even you know uh, sponsors who didn't like that idea and and tv networks and journos and everyone who is now going to be covering this and getting you know a trickle down of this money will be not happy but there will be more guys in that category who probably have the greatest right to be upset who probably won't be i think um but it, it it looks like you're going to get enough of a enough of a percentage of the guys to get things through and get it moving, and you know, the live guys don't care. They got their money and they're coming back. And they <laughs> they're going to be happy as anything. You know, some of them might be upset. They might have to play more golf. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's understandable. I think a lot of the anger today was lack of awareness, lack of information, lack of knowledge, um, and also that they feel like they've been played ducks and drakes against to get to an end point uh, the tour is very good at turning that around and then showing them why this is better for you and these guys you know jeff ogilvy did a, a quick interview after the play meeting today and he said you know jeff's one of the smartest guys in golf you know a, a good friend of mine i love sitting down and talking to him about this sort of stuff and i love interviewing him and he's got amazing thoughts but even he said hey this is above my pay grade I play golf tournaments. <laughs> I show I show up, there's a prize person, there's a golf tournament, and I go and play the golf tournament. And we're critical of that when it comes to, you know, Shane Lowry copped an absolute bullocking over that in Saudi a couple of years back when he said, I'm not a politician, I'm just a golfer. But that's what these guys are. You know, they, they are golfers and they play for money and this is going to increase their money. 
So once the initial anger wears off, there will be a way to sell it to the majority, I'm, I'm sure. And, mm. um, you know, I think it's it's it, it, it looks to me as if Greg won't be involved, um, you know, not being told. He was he was he was hired as a front man for Live Golf and an antagonist, and he did mm. his job. You know, mm. you can think whatever you like of Greg, but he did his job. Um, but what his job did was make him an unpalatable uh, member of staff under the PGA Tour umbrella, which is what is now there. And I, th- I think it's got to be probably similar for Monaghan. I mean, it, it, a lot of the live players aren't. I mean, Pat Perez said something very interesting about him at Adelaide. <laughs> you know, it's it's there's a similar feeling for some of them, and and obviously enough for the PGA Tour players to be upset to question him. Um, but he's probably sitting there going, "I've I've I've created and helped mould the biggest deal in golf, certainly." one of the biggest deals in world sport ever. I mean, the, yeah. this is this is the thing. It's not just, you know, Liv was a huge golf story that became a huge world story because of where the money and then bands. This is massive beyond that. Like this is this is crazy, the reach of the, that. You know, I'm, I tell people all the time when things like this happen, I'm, I'm not that smart, funny or handsome to end up on TV and radio all the time. So <laughs> it, you have to, you have to understand it. it it's something like this. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the player's initial anger, I'm sure that will end, it will simmer a lot. Mm. And the pre- presentation of what it actually looks like is the most important thing moving forward, who's involved, how it works. Um, because I don't, I don't imagine the Saudis necessarily want to be that hands-on. So no. Um, I, that was the impression I got with what the second year of live was we don't actually want to be the ones doing this, you know, yeah. telling teams to hire their own staff and trying to sell teams to say, you do your own stuff. We're, we're just the, we're the bankroll and that gives us what we want and you guys run it. And the PJ tour is very good at running golf tournaments. So mm. they got a perfect partner for them. Really? The, the cynic in me, Drew's, uh, despite all of what I've just said in terms of he doesn't need the players and, and that shouldn't necessarily come into consideration as to whether Jay Monaghan's role is tenable. But the cynic in me suggests that the Saudis will keep him around for as long as he's useful. And the moment he isn't anymore, much like they've done with Greg, um, they'll kick him to the curb. And and I think you made a great point, Jimmy. Um, like him or lump him, and Greg's not necessarily my cup of tea, you can't fault the job that he's done because much like Liv was a means to an end, as was he, he was the perfect man to get it to where it needed to be and play the role as the chief antagonist in in, in your words to give it enough credibility and enough traction and enough eyeballs to force the PGA Tour back to the table. And he did an excellent job. But that should be the model because it, you, clearly our Romain has looked at this and gone, Jay's probably good on the optics to get this deal through. He's an American face. He may help us. If there's a little bit of trouble, he's got relationships with the government. You know, it may just get it to an operational status and then we can move him on. Because my distinct sense here is Jay will say all of those things, Jimmy. He will say, I, I, I was the chief engineer of this. I architect this. I built it from the ground up. Realistically, he's bringing a, a knife to a gunfight in a room with this gentleman. Like we're talking about the chairman of the PIF, we're talking about the chairman of Aramco, the chairman of the Newcastle Football Club, MBS's best mate. Uh, he will play him like a puppet and it will be right up until the moment he is no longer useful 
and they will engineer the right person to move it forward again. It's that's the scary thing I think moving forward is how in control they will be. They won't be hands on to your point, but completely in control. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, we talk about money talks and money wins. This is as close to buying professional golf as you can <laughs> achieve. You know, that's that's as, as close to going out and, you know, writing a check of how much does it cost to buy this. Um which we don't know if it's going to be a good thing or bad thing for golf moving forward. I mean, everyone has their own personal views and understandably so and what drives those, but that's what they've effectively done, like buying a football club or buying Ronaldo and, and getting him and saying, you now play for us. Um, they haven't used any of those guys to particularly do anything different other than play football or compete in a football competition. So whether they do anything different with golf, it's, interesting but um their method of a of a greg as a as a ceo and of course they chased jack nicholas first um and jack said no um kind of makes sense because if you're using someone as a front man for something and they're a player or they're controversial or they're outspoken they get more attention um so you know jay monaghan it, I, I haven't seen him in a boardroom he may be the greatest businessman of all time. We don't know, but he's not going to get as much attention as if say, let's throw a name out there that, you know, isn't that far from the imagination. If Phil Mickelson was the commissioner of the PGA tour, mm -hmm. you know, if, if Phil's in charge and Phil says something, everyone pays attention, but that's, that's an interesting concept of a Greg type person in charge when there's not going to be a rival to, to, to go against um, because, it's all just the same honeypot in the end, really. Grudes, before we maybe try and speculate, because that's all it will be as to what this looks like moving forward, I, I just want to get your thoughts on, to me, the sense of sadness that I feel underneath all this. Because headline, it's it's good for the game in the sense that it stops the fighting. It, it brings an end to the conflict and... It will have some pain points moving forward, I've got no doubt, but it brings everybody back under the same roof. And ultimately, I think it means we're going to have the best players playing the best tournaments. So headline, great news, fantastic. There's an underlying tinge of sadness for me that is born from the fact that this seems so excruciatingly avoidable. Like everything, so many things that have happened, embarrassing things, friendships have been lost, people have been turned against each other. We had an entire players championship the most important tournament outside the four majors in the eyes of the pga tour this year where the defending champion wasn't acknowledged mm. he wasn't mentioned by name purely because he decided to go and play on this other tour and literally six months later we're all friends again like it, it just see like someone like a rory now again he's not everyone's cup of tea i think particularly people who love live golf have become highly critical of that individual given the stance he's taken objectively speaking, you have to stand back and say he's taken that stance based on the information he's been fed by the tour. Mm. He's been the front man for Jay this entire time based on Jay giving the available information. And he's just had the carpet ripped out from underneath him today. He yeah. probably feels like a fool. Yeah. Like it's so excruciatingly avoidable what's happened. And yes, the game will move forward. I do get the sense that there will be some things that are irreparable, which is such a shame given 
where we've landed seemingly was on the table way back when. Well, yeah, four years ago we spoke about it before Andy Gardner and the PGL. Like this, this is where we, where we virtually ended up, right? And you know, I listened to that uh, podcast that Andy did with No Laying Up probably three or four years ago now. Maybe I, if if my timeline's half right, I've listened to that half a dozen times, and every time I just think, wow, this is such a well thought out, well put forward sports league, and the PGA Tour just wanted nothing to do with it. And you think where we could be four years on where we will be in four years from now in 2027 we the pga tour whatever the new name is by the way which we don't don't actually know what that's going to be <laughs> the the pga live dp tour is going to be it, it could be something really really significant in the in the realm of world sports right i think to your point rory is a massive loser from today because he has been put out as the punching bag for the past 18 months, particularly by the PGA tour, because Jay Monaghan's never done it. To your point, Jimmy, he's not, he, when he talks, people don't really listen that much because he's, he's not, he doesn't have the big name in, in global sports, but Rory McIlroy does. And so they've pushed Rory out at every opportunity that they can. He turned down 300 million was the number that I heard got thrown around for Rory turned down 300 mil. And now it's just, we're all hunky-dory and we move on. And so I think that saddens me. I think it also saddens me because, like, I, I'm sad because of all the people who went into bat for the PGA Tour and just had no inkling that this was on the cards. And and in a way, I really commend Jay Monaghan for keeping this behind closed doors because we've all worked in the media long enough. We know that this is the stories get out. <laughs> Everyone's got sources. Everyone leaks things. Things always get out. I couldn't help as a as a media and comms manager. I couldn't help but be so fucking impressed by how that stayed behind closed doors. With I don't know, maybe two or three people, maybe that knew about that. Just truly, truly phenomenal. So, I mean, there to your point. Yes, there is a a, a lot of sadness around it, but I think you, you know the devil is going to be in the detail of what this all means moving forward. What does a schedule look like? What does it what does it mean for global golf? And I think I'm keen to unpack that a little bit if we if we can. And what does this actually mean for Australian golf? Because what I might do quickly is I'll read the the PGA of Australia's statement that got pushed out. Um, while you're uh, while you're finding that, I'd, I'd just be keen to get uh, Jimmy's thoughts, Drew. It's just on Rory specifically, Jimmy, because he has been – the, the face of this, is, as Nath said, in, in many respects, it, particularly of late, it, it appears as though it's taken an enormous toll on his on his game of golf, which that might, he may be a loser at a macro level, but his game might be a micro winner in the short term, but he has the ability to concentrate on that. But it, it feels to me as though someone who, when we look back on his career, uh, not just an incredible player, but really uh, quite a statesman of the game, has taken a hit not of his own doing today. Yeah, I mean, Rory is one of the ones to feel sorry for. And and I saw someone put it very well before that he's he's copped all this criticism and he's missed out on who knows how much money, all this sort of stuff. And But he can stand strong at the end of all this and say, I stuck by what I thought was right. I spoke my mind. I copped the brunt of all this sort of stuff. I did what I thought was best for myself. I did what I thought was best for the world golf and I didn't end up with the result I thought it would be 
but that was beyond my control, um, which I think he deserves to be very proud of. Um, I feel extremely sorry for the guy, given people have only started to dislike him, given he spoke his mind about this sort of stuff and didn't, I don't think spoke ever apart from maybe one line in full swing relating to Phil Mickelson while lying on a massage table. <laughs> he never really that went that petty with it, but he's comparatively not an old man either. He's a young sports person who's learning about himself. And he's, he, at one stage last year, I said to someone, he seems to be playing better golf when he's upset and riled up about all this sort of stuff. And then this year it took the opposite. And then he took time off and said, I need a mental break. I am cooked. I'm, I'm done. Um, and it's unfortunate he's, he's been put up, but he's also willingly taken the role of being the front man. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't understand, well, I do understand in how the world works now and social media and everything like that, that someone like that could be disliked because he seems like I've had some brief interactions with him, but such a great guy. He's one of the best players I have ever seen. And his record probably doesn't match up to that, but part of his record not matching up to that is he found a life golf balance earlier than most of the guys who are that good um, and pursued that. And, you know, it, it's a shame that a guy like that has such hatred against him because he hasn't done anything realistically that deserves that. Um, there's players involved in this who have been equally divisive, who people have opinions on, who you hear stories about from behind closed doors who aren't loved by everybody. Um, you know, it was shown when Brooks won the PGA and Rory was there to congratulate him and Brooks said, I'll, I'll chat to you later. He wanted to celebrate his win with a guy he considers his friend, despite where they fell and what had been said. Um, so it's a, it's a shame, but I think Rory at the end of it all and at the end of his career, will stand there and go, I, I did what I thought was right. Um, and you know, I tried to do my best for that and he shouldn't have any regrets. I wouldn't have thought maybe one or two comments here and there that he probably wishes he didn't say, but he's done a very admirable job um, and stepped into the role that, you know, would have been Tiger's job if Tiger was around every week and playing that Tiger would have shirked. I'm pretty confident because that's not Tiger's style. 100%. He has definitely carried the can for Eldrick. Uh, yes. but, you know, Tigers, tig Tigers are the right to delegate. I also oh, suggest. 100%. Um, and, and I mean, we talk about <laughs> the amount of money people miss. I mean, Tigers miss 900 million. That's a pretty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not pocket change even for him. Well, that's, 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 no, yeah. it is not. Uh, now to your point, Drew, we, we do need to unpack, uh, what it means for us. So, so just, just to recap and quickly reestablish, uh, merger between, and I use the, the phrase merger loosely as well, because that has connotations that it was a, an equal meeting of the minds. Um, whereas I think increasingly we'll see it, it is, that it is not, but a merger between the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia and the PGA tour, the PGA tool retain its 501c6 or not for profit status for day-to-day -day operations of the tour. And a new entity will be formed, which will combine the commercial operations of PGA tour, the DP world tour and the public investment fund, including live golf, uh, they will mix it all together. The PIF will get first choice on how much they want to own. And moving forward, that will be, uh, I suppose, the foundation of men's professional golf. What remains to be seen, and this will be the detail I imagine we nutted out in the coming months, is what the actual tour itself looks like in terms of is it, I suppose, a combination of the new revamped PGA Tour schedule with a break in the American Fall 
uh, and the Australian Spring, whereby maybe we fit some more events of a live style nature or team style nature in there. Does it go fully team? Does it go fully individual? All of that remains to be seen. But I think where we want to land now, Druids, is potentially what it means for us here uh, in Australia. So I think a good place to start um, would have been busy. I imagine down there in Melbourne today at the head office, a lot of phone calls coming in to the comms team down there at the PGA of Australia. Uh, Jimmy, I, I'm sure you had just as much luck as we did in getting anywhere beyond a statement. Uh, I had a few uh, conversations. We'll yep. To... Yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe maybe we'll just first and foremost read the official statement out of the PGA of Australasia Droids, please. Yeah, PGA. So this is from Gavin Kirkman. They pushed this out sort of mid-morning my time after... I'm sure probably every man and his dog in the golf media was on to Golf Australia in the PGA, like us. Um, from Gavin Kirkman, the PGA of Australia has continued discussions with the PGA Tour and DP World Tour overnight and this morning to discuss the details of the agreement jointly announced with the Public Investment Fund to unify professional golf on a global basis. We have and will continue to act in a deliberate, strategic and consistent manner which is to be committed to work within golf's global ecosystem and provide strong pathways for the players on the PGA Tour of Australasia into tours around the world. These discussions are ongoing as we continue to ensure any new arrangements deliver positive benefits to our tour, all of our members, and the entire Australasian golfing community and those who love the game. Ends. What's your What's your takeaway, Jimmy, from... From that, because we we obviously sent back an email and said, you know, we'd love to have someone, a representative, on to answer a few more questions around what it is. Because I mean, look, you know, I've worked in media and comms, Marshy. So have you and and Jimmy, you've been in the media long enough. I mean, the statement, I mean, it doesn't really say a lot, right? It's a, it's a statement for the sake of putting out a statement. I feel. But what's your what's your takeaway from from that, Jimmy? Do you think? That we were caught off guard. Do you think that we we are just a sort of a secondhand stakeholder in all of this? What does it kind of mean for us? Like, was Live Adelaide the straw that broke the camel's back? Like, there's so many questions around Australia in 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 terms of what it actually means. So, break it down for us. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I emailed the guys down there um, early this morning, and I said, "What time was your first email to them?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, for seven o'clock, I'd suggest. Yeah, love, like that. That. love that. Love um, that. Um, poor Josh uh, is poor Josh has probably got into his desk yeah. and had fucking three hundred emails and got. Oh, oh, no, he, oh, he was shit. he was ready to reply. He was he was on it. But um, I, I said to them from my side, I said, guys, uh, I'd appreciate a statement that I assume is going to be produced, and I have no need for an interview with anyone at this point because I don't think anyone's going to shed any extra light on anything yeah. that. We, we we're in the situation and that was basically the response was, yeah, there's going to be a statement coming and expected to hit the mailbox. And um, look, I, I mean, I, I don't think the statement says a lot. I, I don't know if you guys have seen the Asian tour statement, no, but the Asian tour says, well, Cho Min Tan, CEO, the Asian tour welcomed and embraced yesterday's news concerning the landmark announcement between the public investment fund, PJ tour and deeper world tour. This is a massive stride forward for the game and a great result for all parties concerned, the fans, brands, broadcasters, the tours and the membership. This hugely significant development validates our documented decision to collaborate with Golf Saudi and Live Golf to elevate the Asian tour standing in the in the game. 
we were always confident a solution would be found and we're delighted it has come as soon as it has. Uh, look forward to contributing and ongoing stuff. I mean, it's not dissimilar. It's it's just instead of DP World Tour, PJ Tour, insert Live Golf, Golf Saudi. Um, mm. And I, I think our tour and every tour that wasn't in the conversations, which is every tour, but the PJ Tour and, and PIF is in the same situation um, of – yeah, they weren't going to bring any of us, any not any of us, but any other tours in until this was done because they realised the work the tour has done in America to bring everyone under this alliance, the work Liv has done to bring Asian tour under their umbrella, that is basically all of golf. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they kind of needed to get the nuts and bolts in, and then they can expand into where that goes with everything else. Um, our tours doing what they said they would. They're focusing on pathways. And I, you know, I've been critical at times and, you know, I think sometimes justifiably so, but I also stand up and say, I really am impressed with how they've gone about things in recent times. And mm. David Michaluzzi is the great example of what our tour set out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, given that as the framework and that success and how popular that's been with the players, it, they will now attempt to do that in this new environment, but how they do that and how they fit in is anyone's guess. And despite, you know, Gavin's statement saying that he'd had the conversations with the tours and I'm sure he has that there would be no further information as to mm. what that actually looks like at this point, because we're in a situation here where it's not, I don't think, our tour not getting a conversation. It's the tours that they're having the conversations with have no idea what their stuff's going to look like and how yeah. other tours can then fit in. And exactly what it means for Australia. And I've heard a few people today say, you know, this is going to be the greatest thing. We're going to have a mm. live event. We're going to have a PJ tour event. <laughs> here. We're going to have this and that. You know what? Please. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, so. I, I know you do. And <laughs> like spare me. Like, honestly, the, 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 there has been a multitude of reasons the PJ Tour does not come here. Um, and one of them was highlighted during Live Adelaide when Taylor Gooch got to Singapore and his winner's check was cut in half by a tax bill. Mm-hmm. Guys don't like traveling halfway around the world to play a tournament, getting money and getting it cut in half. Mm-hmm. That's pretty established. Yeah. Um, the timing, the scheduling has always been an issue, but... With this thing, the PJ Tour, my concern was always if the PJ Tour won their war of attrition against Live Golf was they just became more powerful. And they'd shown that they knew how to look after their key investment, key stakeholders, being America, being their players, which are predominantly American. If they had won this and Live had disappeared, they would have been full of more confidence that they were going about things. And and this is something that people so often forget we always called the PJ Tour the US Tour until not that long ago because that's what it was. It was mm-hmm. the American Golf Tour. Um, now, they will now fall into this big pool and the PJ Tour of Australasia, the Sunshine Tour, the Asian Tour, will all fall into this pool. And they will try and service other markets. But to think, uh, you know, we will walk away as the biggest beneficiary despite if Gavin Kirkman and James Sutherland did the world's best job of chasing down that, I think is a bit foolhardy. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, whether we have live events next year or something akin to live events, we don't know. So Peter Malnowskis today said, we've got a deal. They're going, we want them back. And we, well, they might not even play them anymore. 
So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Peter hard, wants them hard back. Hard to honour a contract, Peter, if the entity doesn't exist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm, I'm sure Peter wants them back. And Force majeure. Live Adelaide was a great example of when you bring the best players or, or some of here, people show up, people care, people love mm-hmm. an event, people, yeah. So I'm sure that has had an influence in how it shapes moving forward. But what that looks like, I mean, does that mean they turn around and say, you know, it would it would be a great thing. You know, Mike Clayton would be shouting from the rooftops if the PJ Tour said part of our new strategy is to make this national open circuit that are the biggest events we've got. And the yeah. Canadian Open, the US Open, the Open Championship, the Scottish Open, the Australian Open, and South African Open are top-tier events and they're worth $20 million and all this sort of, hey, that'd be unreal. Um, yeah. But we don't know. We don't know if they want to play smaller events here or what and and how that's all going to work. And so, um, look, I, I think the tour here is um, they're going to have work cut out for them, but they've got the, the the statement as much as it doesn't say a huge amount because, as we keep saying, I don't know if anyone can say yeah. a huge amount this yeah. today, <laughs> has the right intentions of pathways is in there again. You know, the first time I heard it was, I think, you know, Aussie PJ a couple of years back of Pathways, Pathways. And you kind of, what is Pathways? And now they've got a model of what that ideally looks like. Um, and if that's the focus, that's good. You know, if the statement had come out and said, we want to have 10 PJ Tour events in Australia, we would have laughed them off the face of the earth. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Gavin Kirkman would be facing similar questions Jay Monaghan's facing. Um but they've gone, they've they've gone around the right focus, I think, um, and they've got work cut out for them. But they're proving themselves capable of playing in the world golf ecosystem. Um, hopefully, to my mind, having grown up around this and around tour players and all that, that Asia and the Asian tour is more open with you know this new thing because the the Asian tour was always heavily Australian because Peter Thompson helped set it up and it was so close and there's still a lot of guys playing there, but um, to open up that channel and maybe we get some of their events, who knows, but um, what it looks like down here is, you know, who, who knows that is, that is, that's a million dollar question. Um, at this stage, we're hosting the first events of the DP world tours next season. So, <laughs> Hey, you know, that could be, that could be are seriously we? something by the time we get there. Wow. Uh, are we <laughs> at this, at this stage? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Jimmy is spot on. Um, just to uh, reverse back over a few of those points. So whilst the statement in and of itself was much to do about nothing, uh, I mean I, I give credit to to Josh and to Paul and and to Gavin to work through something at the crack of dawn to try and disseminate what it actually means. You know, on a twenty four hour news cycle with people breathing down their neck, it's not an easy situation. Um, and I think in the absence of clarity, what they did to your point was revert back to the key message, and that is pathways. And I think when I look at it, uh, and we too have been critical in the past, and we too have um, been complimentary of the exceptional job, particularly last uh, summer just gone was. It was an incredible six months, the way they filled that out with events, the way that Mika himself was given the space to emerge as a as a clearly dominant player in our backyard and then given the opportunity to go and rub shoulders with the best in the world overseas. Now, ultimately, in my mind, when we've been critical in the past of probably both the PGA of Australia and Golf Australia is losing sight of what, in fact, their role is, 
right? So the PGA of Australia has 1,300 members. That's their role. Golf Australia is to grow the game in this country. And I don't think there's any irony in the fact that the game, the game grew more in this country when, in fact, we're all locked inside than at any other time in the past 25 years. So it's not driven by going to see events and see the best players in the world. It's driven by a love of the game and your enjoyment and your ability to play it. If, in fact, it's going to grow at any greater rate than people like us or at our age taking it up or who are tragics who can continue to play it, it's kids who get to see someone like Mika and see a path in front of them that's capable for them to complete as well. So to your point, I'm actually quite buoyed by the fact that they don't have delusions of grandeur that this is all of a sudden going to become a mecca for world golf down here. Despite us having some of the great courses, we aren't a desirable location to bring a tournament. And so I'd rather them focus their efforts on solidifying the relationships that open up those pathways than to lose sight of, in fact, what is important to them, which is where we've been critical in the past. My concern is, is really quite narrow on its focus at the moment. And that's for the the guys from an Australian perspective who are tied up and live, right? So if you look at someone like Smithy, no issues, walks back into the PGA Tour, he's got exemptions for the next couple of years anyway based on his Open Championship victory. It's the other three. So Leash was playing a sectional qualifier for the US Open that he, he ultimately missed by a couple of shots. But someone like Jed Morgan had... The world at his, well, I shouldn't say the world at his feet, but he had a platform as an order of merit winner to go and play in Europe. And we love him on this on this show. We did not begrudge him at all for taking the opportunity he did. It's life-changing, provided that all that money actually does land in his account. But Jed is in a bit of a wilderness now because there isn't necessarily recognized status unless that gets worked out, you know, amongst the absolute boondoggle that all of this will become. And my concern is unless there becomes a, to your point, for us here in Australia, a very strong Asian tour with a strong identity that knows what it is, that with everyone sitting under the same roof, you actually almost have the ability to get lost. Yeah. Like when the entities were separate, you at least could emerge as a player of significance on the European tour and then kind of merge into playing with the best in the PGA tour. With everything under the same roof, it, it is a little bit messy. And, and that's where my concern lies, that from an Australian perspective, if you aren't following what is a defined pathway, you do have the potential, seemingly, to maybe get caught in the yeah, wind. I think so. Bit. I mean, Jed's a great example of, it was fascinating the way it played out with Jed um, and obviously very close with Cam. And that's how m- more of it came to be, um, that he's ended up where he is, share a management group and, you know, he won camp scholarship and went over the house with Louis Dobler years ago. And he was passing up an opportunity, but passing it up for a opportunity he clearly thought was better and a financial opportunity that was better without question. But he was already in an interesting state before today's news of he wasn't guaranteed a year on year contract. And where did he go after that? Did he go back and play the Asian tour? Did he, what did he do? And, and live golf loved the idea of an Australian team. So they were going to have to find Australian somewhere. And Wade Ormsby's kind of in this live wilderness. He was the same, you know, he was in this, mm. where does Wade play? Wade shows up every week as a reserve and plays on some teams, hits some balls each day, did some commentary in Adelaide and goes by the Asian events and whatever. And um, those guys, it's, it'll be fascinating to watch how that plays out. Leash is another one. Leash is one of the straightest shooters you'll ever hear. And 
when he he told Adam Pengilly last year at the Aussie PGA, I've played a lot of majors. If I don't play another one, that's okay. I was knocked over. I mean, you don't hear guys say, don't care. Not don't care, but I'm okay with not playing another major championship. But it kind of made sense. Leash realized he'd had a window to probably win one or go close. He did go close a bunch of times. He didn't get it done. He was at a stage in his career where he was slowing down a little bit. He wasn't as competitive on the PJ Tour week in, week out. He was still competitive, but he wasn't as competitive. He got offered a huge amount of money to go and play in a team environment with one of his best mates and, you know, work at his business side of things too with Leishman Lager. And it made sense. Matty Jones was the same. Matty's 40-odd and he's won PJ Tour events, won a couple of Aussie Opens, and he got presented with money up front and went, okay, but he was understandably still in the court case because I heard he had a two-year deal. And so that was the end of this year. And then where did he go? You know, it's well and good at the start of the two years to say, oh, if two years is done, I'll, I'll walk away. Guys don't walk away from being an elite professional golfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to find where they're going to sit. And then you have to find where the pathways we talked about go. You know, even the fact of, I, I spoke to a player yesterday before this happened about, Q school coming back with PJ tour cards is going to change potentially the exemptions you get out of the Aussie order of merit, whether it's one or whether it's three, like it was supposed to be. And that makes it harder to plan your year. If that's where you want to go, you know, Mika can go to Q school and get a PJ tour card, but he hates Q school. He told me that three times over the summer. I'm no good at Q school. That's why I came home and played because I wanted to get a card here and go that way. Um, so uh, to your point of being lost, it's very possible. Um, but I suppose Australia hopefully has the reputation of producing the good players, hosting events of our own, hosting international events when they come, the greatest golf courses in the world in the collection, that we get a good enough seat at the table to work out a pathway that is you know, appetizing to our players and, and deserving of our status in world golf. And um, we've done a good job of building that to a point of having three DP World Tour cards. I mean, even that pre the live situation is a great achievement and a great way of getting out of this country to play overseas. Um, if Asia is bigger and that works, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's one of these things of when I was a young bloke and guys coming up, it was, where do you go play? You go play in America, you go play the nationwide tour. Cause that's how you get on the PJ tour. The generation before me, it was you go to Europe. That's where everyone goes and they learn. And then you go from Europe to America if you're good enough or you stay in Europe and you make good living. Um, then it became Asia and there was one Asia. I mean, I I was saying today to someone who's not well-versed on golf who said, oh, you know, with the PJ Tour Saudi thing, does Saudi own run golf? Well, we've got to remember, uh, despite the PJ Tour arrangement, they still, the f- two of them together, have no control over the four biggest events in men's golf. Mm. So we're, we're still in this situation where there's all these different entities with their own interests that have control of something that everyone knows is important, potentially even wants. Um, so we've got two organizations here in this country. There's, you know, two, three organizations in America. There's a couple in Europe. There's all this stuff. So it's such a mixed up world. It's always been hard to find your identity and also be not lost in the system. Um, maybe this bringing everything under one umbrella means it's not. Maybe we end up with, whether it's PJ Tour, but we end up with PJ Tour America, PJ Tour Europe, PJ Tour Australia, PJ Tour Asia, whatever. Um, who knows? But yeah, I 
I, I, I'm, I'm sort of like you, Marshy. I'm, I'm quite heartened by some of the messaging that that came out of Australia today because there's a realization of um, where they fit and what their responsibilities is. Um, I've been heartened. You, know, you mentioned the vocational members. I've been heartened with conversations I've had down there about that as well recently, um, and extremely positive around the Australian golf strategy messaging that all golf is golf. That's something I've been saying to people for a long time is let's count people who play mini golf as golf people, because mm. that's how we're going to grow our numbers. That's how we're going to get more interest. And yeah, watching golf is how you get interest, but you don't need to watch Tiger to get interested as a young kid. I watched Roger Davis hit peas on the lakes driving range as a kid. And I got interested, not that Roger wasn't a great player, <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's <laughs> Dave Michaluzzi is the kind of guy kids would go and watch and be fascinated by you know, my young fellow who's got no interest in golf loves Louis Dobler because he's got the same first name, for goodness sake. Like, <laughs> it's, that's, that's, that's the staff. So, um, extremely, it's the broader point of it's extremely interesting time in world golf. It's extremely interesting time in Australian golf. And, um, it, you know, we, the, the people in running golf in Australia got a fair bit of criticism from people about not signing up with Liv and all this sort mm. of stuff. It, it was not a possibility. You couldn't give live the Australian open because that's not what they were doing. Mm. Um, they've aligned with where they thought they should. And that now puts them in a position, hopefully to have a seat at this table. And they've come out of it in a much stronger position and, you know, having proven their, their chops at, at getting what they need for their players. And hopefully that keeps going with this new situation because um, that's what we all obviously want as Australians and for Australian players and, keep sending guys and making guys like Cam Smith go and win major golf tournaments is pretty important. I'm glad that you brought up the the point of who the stakeholders are, Marshy, because that was obviously something that resonated quite strongly with me in that statement, even though I said at the start it didn't really say anything, sort of as tongue-in-cheek, and it doesn't say anything, but as we've discussed for the last hour, no one really knows anything at this point. We've we've got a bit of a framework. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that is absolutely who their main stakeholders are, is the PGA, members of the PGA of Australia. And I think that's what their statement goes towards. And I think in terms of what this all means and when it all comes out in the wash, where Australia is going to end up, I think we are probably thinking far too uh, thinking far, far, far ahead of it. If we think that we are going to get one to two PGA, PGA tour, whatever this new concept is, if we think we're going to get one to two events per year, then I think we're absolutely dreaming, right? Just to be, just to be clear, Dreads, we don't think that. Luke thinks that. Bless Luke thinks that. Socks. But we don't think. We'll, that. we'll take no. it. I'll take it. And, and absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. Do do I think it would be? Yeah, we'll absolutely take it. I think it would be. It is kind of important that we do try and get an event here because it will be massive. I mean, we saw what Live Golf did in Adelaide, and and we discussed at the time. I think even with you, Jimmy, was was that just a beneficiary of someone filling the void of professional golf? And the answer is probably yes, right? You could have bought anything down here. I mean, the Live Golf field it was, you know, it had some good names in it, but it wasn't the who's who of golf, right? It was a it was it was a matter of someone filling the void, and we've seen it with the President's Cup and and everything. So, I'm fascinated to see where this all comes out in the wash for for Australian golf. I echo what you guys have said around what Gavin and and the board and what 
Golf Australia and what the PGA of Australia have done over the past six to 12 months, it's been massive off the back of COVID when we were highly critical, Marshy. You know, I'm pretty sure we're still blacklisted from every event that the PGA ever runs for what we said during COVID, which, you know, to be honest, we stand by because we were, that's, that's where we were at that point in time. But I, I'm truly fascinated to see how all this comes out. A big part of that, I reckon, is going to come out in the Netflix doco, not on the Australian thing, but uh, around <laughs> all of that, because apparently they were rolling today. I saw the, is it the producer? He tweeted that. Chad, yeah, Chad Mum. Yes. Yeah, 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 you better better <laughs> believe that we were rolling. I mean, holy shit, that'll be the first episode I'm skipping towards. I'm sorry for mm. anyone else that they've highlighted in the first, like, three episodes of whatever, <laughs> whatever the... Um, of whatever full swing is, I'm sorry for you, but um, I'll be going straight there. I mean, there's a heap more questions. We could do another hour on this, but I mean, you know, do the live players still get their payout? Was that all paid up front? Does that is that still a thing? I mean, that's a question I have. How will the live players be greeted coming back? How are they coming back? You know, there's going to be a essentially a kangaroo court of who's going to be able to, you know, you can come back, you can come back, you're out, see you later. Um, <laughs> It's going to be amazing to see, you know, many of the live players said that they went for the lifestyle that they could play 14 events. What does this new tour look like? How is that still going to be a thing? There's, there's so much, where does the DP world tour wash up? So I've got a million more questions, but you know what? I have a headache from all of this today. I can't imagine how Jimmy you're feeling because this yeah. has been, there has been so much information and millions of tweets sent about all this and people thinking that they're right. People thinking that they're wrong and, you know what? Everyone's probably somewhere in the middle at this point, and that's probably going to end my TED talk on all of this. I think I, it was I, telling. Sorry, Jimmy. J- just on that, I think it was really telling. I read two things today. The first was Brandel Shambly saying it was one of the saddest days in the history of professional golf, and the second was Greg Norman saying it was a wonderful day for the global game of golf. Fans and players alike. The journey continues. And it made me think of a saying, which is often one of my favorites, and that is simply that things are never as bad or as good as they seem. They're often somewhere in the middle. And that to me feels like where we're at. Like we are, I said it early on, we're at the very beginning of this. This will not be the last episode we discuss the permutations of what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks and months. My sense of it moving forward, given um, the many different uh, people at the altar now and their their different proclivities and preferences of playing golf is the new tour looks probably a little bit like King's Cross and it'll serve everyone. Whatever your flavor, you'll be able to get on the new tour, I'd suggest, in some way, shape or form. But there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge. Uh, it, like it is trying to react to this inside 24 hours. Um, we'd be handed if we didn't, but it's all it's nigh on impossible other than to feel like you're giving an opinion based on what you've seen in the last couple of years as opposed to what's actually going to happen, Jimmy. Uh, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, we're kind of in the eye of the storm, really. Um, and even that seems tumultuous. So how that all folds out is 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 going to be the most interesting thing. I mean, to, to your point, Drudes, of the other things that question, I mean, one of my great questions is, what about women's golf? You know, that's been a complete... Mm side thing and uh, at the time in Adelaide when Greg said oh yeah we've been talking to women and I'd spoken to Kari Webb that morning who said I couldn't fathom taking Saudi money and looking a Saudi woman in the face and mm-hmm. you know that's a whole nother area um, and disappointingly it happened last year with women's majors but disappointingly and look it's, it's happened when it's happened for all the reasons we've talked about but it actually fell that the announcement came on International Women's Golf Day 
when it was mm. that time in America, that's that's a disappointment to me. And people, I mentioned something on Twitter about that last year about women's majors getting live event announcements, live player announcements, I should say. And I got called a lot of different names for supposedly doing something that I wasn't caring about. I do. Oh, Jimmy, come on, and, mate. You, you go woke, you go broke. Mate. That's we right. Know this. Come on now. And and look, that's a disappointing part. Um, but that's that's how it's happened. And hopefully, women's golf benefits, all golf benefits from it. Um, and the other thing on the the mention of the full swing thing is unbelievably. Alan Shipnut posted yesterday the final word count of his book live and let die oh no and ready to send to the printer and there's going to be some revisions for alan um mm. over the coming days but <laughs> how much do you that, think bill mickelson's laughing at that oh mm. hugely um but mm. I, I mean that that book as a on top of full swing when it gets finalized done and this sort of is going to be worth the worth worth the price of it because I would imagine Alan being the journalist that he is will have got access to a lot of the stuff that probably would have come up in the court cases that we'll no longer see. Um, so we're going to get some insights there and it's going to be fascinating to see that. But um, yeah, we, we are sitting in this state going, well, is it terrible? Is it the greatest thing ever? It's probably neither. Um, is it what it's going to look like? Who's going to do what and where and when and how? It's probably about 20 different answers to that. Um, so, you know, let's hopefully actually see some good golf this week and then we can you know work on a couple of majors coming up and then by the time we're ready with all that to be done then they'll probably have an answer for us of how it looks and who's playing where and when but um yeah yeah, it's 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 kind of mind melting all the different permutations of it and you know that we're all just guessing which is crazy and and somehow a guy jimmy dunn who's close with rory mcelroy has become golf's kingmaker so Mm -hmm. i couldn't even give you an answer how that happens so that's yeah all right, you're done, Marshy. What else you got? Uh, I think maybe we just well, I got I got two things very okay. briefly. Uh, biggest biggest loser and biggest winner from each of you out of out of today, Druids. Oh, kick us shit. off. Biggest loser. Um, I somehow think Phil's a massive loser in all of this. Just in in my head, like he he comes out looking really kind of murky in amongst all of this but I, I the massive the biggest loser for me is Rory I just feel so sorry for the dude who's just been the punching bag for 18 months and maybe that's because I like him as a person I know a lot of people who don't like him as to your point Jimmy um biggest winner uh, undoubtedly for me the guys who went to live they've made a shit ton of money and now they're coming back and playing everything again so we'll just go mm. full circle baby so I'll 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 go with those two for the for the time being Jimmy, Jimmy. Oh, I think biggest win has got to be the live the guys that were playing live. You know, mm. they they got their money and they're going to get to come back and probably pick and choose how they go about it because of the change. And uh, Phil will call himself the biggest winner because he, you know, <laughs> claims to have architected a lot of it. But um, those players and and uh, yeah, the the guys running the PIF got exactly what they wanted. They spent mm. probably a spare billion that they didn't want to, but. That's kind of not a big deal in in the scheme of things for them. Um, biggest loser, jeez. Um, the DP uh, World Tour we didn't talk about at all, and I think they uh, could be they could be an answer here. I, I think there's there's a number of players who fall into that as 
unfortunately going to be the ones who've been made to look foolish potentially. Um, mm-hmm. Rory certainly has copped stuff that he doesn't deserve and uh, it's affected every part of, I'm sure, his life and golf game. Eddie Pepperell is another one who is so outspoken and so brilliant at times on certain things and other things I don't agree with. But, you know, he nearly lost a friendship with a guy he played junior golf with um, who's gone to play live golf and that's fallen apart and it all is for nothing. Uh, that, mm. that doesn't sit well with me. Um, you know, there's a, there's a slew of those guys who've been very outspoken about that, who I feel sorry for. Um, Mike Lorenzo Vera is another one. Um, guys who really stood by what they thought was right. And with the information provided to them by their not quite, but kind of employer. Um, that's, that's, I, I think that's, those are the guys that are going to walk away with reputations damage that shouldn't have been and, and relationships damage that shouldn't have been. Um, you know, I don't think I would suggest that Rory and Phil were never great friends. So <laughs> that relationship disappearing doesn't phase either one of them a great deal. Um, you know, Eddie Pepperell and Laurie Cantor is a very different story. And I feel sorry for guys like that um, because they've been put through the ringer doing what they thought was right and publicly speaking and copying it at that time you know, being told you're an idiot because you've got an opinion different to someone else, which is just the way the world works nowadays, of course. But um, that it was all kind of for nothing is upsetting. Keith Pelly could be the, the biggest winner. He's just got to sat back in the corner and he's got his tour. <laughs> <laughs> we are back, baby. The DP World Tour yeah, is that's right. once again. That's right. We're fine. We'll be back We're when fine. the Turkish Airlines open for nine million bucks <laughs> in, a, in a stone throw a month. It'll be great. Um, for what it's worth, uh, my biggest winner, uh, undoubtedly for me, really, uh, Yasir Al Ramayan, only because he got what he wanted all along and relatively cleanly. I-, I acknowledge that he has lost a bit of cash to your point, Jimmy, but there's been really no loss of friendships. There's been he hasn't necessarily. I mean, even the players who are well compensated have been puppets in a show to go to live and prove a point, whereas he's sat back and really pulled the strings. So I think he is undoubtedly the biggest winner out of today. And biggest loser is Greg for mine because I just don't know that Greg can actually accept that he isn't necessary or relevant in global yeah. golf. Like he's, <laughs> he's, I'm sure he's been handsomely compensated for his role in the last 18 months, but he's now going to be sitting at home going, I mean, it happened with the WGCs way back when with Fencham. It's happened again. He's had an idea that he that he brought to fruition, albeit a little bit more tenure than the WGCs, and he's fronted that, and now he's – Back twiddling his thumb. So I think Greg is just going to struggle with what do I do next? Because I don't know where I fall um, in golf's global ecosystem, but I do believe I belong there. So someone I saw, watch. someone I saw uh, likened the WGCs as the eighty-seven Masters, and today as the ninety-six Masters for Greg, which I thought <laughs> oh, probably unkind, but Ooh. maybe not that far off uh, the mark yeah, of like yeah. kind of how it sits. But the other the other biggest loser I think I, I didn't mention it is, is Andy Gardner. I mean, this guy is yeah. everything I've read, seen, heard from him is brilliant. This guy had a concept that could have avoided all of this um, and could have really done something for golf. And, um, you know, to sit back and he's got to sit there and look at his ideas, kind of be taken over by others and, and the destruction that was caused in the process that could have been avoided. I mean, that's a real shame. And, um, you know, I hope, I hope he, take some solace that he was on the right track, I suppose. It's probably his his winning thought because otherwise he'd be standing in his in his house banging his head against the wall going, what did I do that for? 
Jimmy, you've been exceptionally generous with your time at the end of what I know has been an incredibly long day. It would, however, be remiss of us um, to let you go without asking you to talk us through your selection of Sarah Kemp for the ShopRite Classic. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. <laughs> Kemp is playing the best golf of her life. Big high on life after the international crown. She's going to be all over it. This is If she wins this week, I'll give it away. That'll do me. Mm. Like If I've done that and made a noise about it, I will give it away. And one of the nicest people in professional golf. So go Kempy. That'll be. Yeah, look, that of course is a little bit of inside baseball, but I feel <laughs> as though that that's been waiting inside you all day. Um, yeah. I, I feel, yeah, doth protest too much by actually talking about it really means you want to be asked about it. So I feel <laughs> it, was only, it was only appropriate we give you that platform. To talk I to also I also feel bad for Kempy as well because she played well a couple of weeks ago after being on the Good Good Golf podcast in a debacle of an issue when I was in PNG and she was in California and one of the other guys was somewhere else and sound and everything was a shambles. She played well the first two days and I tweeted saying, "Oh, Good Good Golf podcast, you know, little lift, <laughs> the bump. Kempy's on the way." And then she did not play well after that. And so I feel bad for Kempi that I did that to her. So this is also part of my tipping reasons. Mm, wonderful. Well, it all uh, swings and roundabouts. It all works That's its right. way back. That's right. Uh, Matt, it's been wonderful as always to have your company. We appreciate you taking the time to uh, help us. Well, really, I won't say make sense as we said at the start. Just get some things off our chest. It's been a yep. huge day in global golf uh, and the first of many. Uh, and what will be a long road to come. It's been nice to have your company talk through it tonight. Thanks again for your time. My absolute pleasure.